All right, opening your Bibles tonight to the book of Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1 tonight. We've been in this passage for the past three weeks. And uh, tonight we're going to finish the last in whom that's found in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. We've got three more after tonight. If you want to be studying them, you can find them in chapter 2 and verse 21 and chapter 2 and verse 22. And uh, you can find also the Bible says in whom we have boldness and uh, access in chapter 3 and verse 12. But tonight I want us to look at the end of verse number 13. I want us to look at verse 14. And I want us to look at being sealed with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of promise. As the Bible talks about, we're going to begin reading in verse number 3 and read down to verse number 14. The Bible says in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter number 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You can take that one verse and it sums up all of the thoughts that we have uh, examined in this study and will examine. It says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom, this is our first in whom that we've studied, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. This is our second in whom, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Verse 13 contains our third, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now I want you to pay extra special attention to the next few words because they present to us our thought tonight. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. I want to read those phrases again. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father... Lord, I ask you now to bless your word. Lord, help me to be an empty vessel, to be yielded, usable to you. 
Father, make your word real and living in our hearts and minds tonight. You know what each heart's need is, Lord. And I'd ask that you'd meet it in a way that would bring you glory. Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. Lord, whatever takes place tonight, I pray that it would be done in such a fashion that we might give you and you alone the glory. Father, help us now tonight to understand your word. We'll be sure to thank you for it. We love you tonight, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In our fourth installment of this study, we find that it centers around the topic of the Holy Spirit of God. I want to take just a few minutes tonight. I don't just want to preach on the Holy Spirit, although we're going to talk a a lot about Him tonight. But I want to talk about the Holy Spirit of God in correlation to the person of Jesus Christ. We might say this, that in many ways God the Father is the soul of the Godhead. He is the consciousness. He is the awareness. He is the eternal will. And all that the Godhead does, does in the carrying out of His will. And we see that spoken of in verse number 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. God does all things according to His will, and it's the Father's will. Now you say, is the Son's will contrary to the Father's will? No, it's not contrary, it's submitted to His will. They are never disharmonious, but the position and place that the Son of God takes according to God the Father is one of submission and one of reverence. He said, I and the Father are one, but the Bible says uh, that Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Himself the form of a servant. He put Himself subservient to the will of the Father. And in many ways, God the Father presents to us the soul of the Godhead. Jesus Christ, in many ways, presents to us the body of the Godhead. He was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, dwelling amongst us, the incarnate Son of God. But we find that, and it should be very, very logical to us to assume this, but sometimes I think we forget it. Uh, that uh, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of the Godhead. Do you know that the Spirit is that which communicates with that which is spiritual? The soul may be able to perceive and understand those things, but the soul in and of itself, our consciousness and our awareness, has no ability to communicate with God and with that which is spiritual. It may, it may understand or grasp some of those things, but it's done through the Spirit of God. A lost man has a soul but he can't converse with the Almighty. Our spirit must be awakened within us, must be quickened within us and made alive. And the spiritual man has the ability to speak and converse with God and to communicate with God and receive things of God. And so we find that the spirit is the means of communion and of fellowship in a being. And so it's no surprise that as we study the Godhead, that the Holy Spirit of God would be the means for you and I to connect and communicate and have communion with the Godhead. We talked about it this morning. We, we speak to little children about accepting Jesus into their heart, and I think that's appropriate language. I'm not trying to split hairs or pick things apart. I, I believe that in a sense that's what we're doing in a spiritual way. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we're allowing Him uh, to uh, sit upon the throne of our heart and we're allowing Him to save us. 
but speaking in a strictly doctrinal sense. It's not the Son of God that sits upon our heart, but it's the Spirit of God that comes within us and indwells us. Tonight I want us to see a correlation between the Son of God and the Spirit of God. And I'll readily confess with you that we're in deep waters tonight, and I'm going to do my best to be clear in what I'm saying to you. As we've read this passage, it's just the same as with the other ones. We've spoken about what it means to be in Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. You can be something through someone or by someone or with someone, but it's something totally different to be something in someone. When you're in someone, what that literally means is that your position, uh, your state is directly tied to the identity and integrity of that person. And you and I, I, I like the assurance that we have when we consider that we're in Christ. There may be a lot of things that happen to me and you, neighbor, but there's not going to be anything ever, ever push him off his throne. There might be a lot of things that we might do to mess up, but He's never going to do anything to mess up. And if who we are in Jesus Christ is truly that, in Him, in the person of Christ, when God looks at us, He sees us accepted in the Beloved. He puts us on the same status as His only begotten Son. He looks upon us and accepts us and loves us the same way that He loves His Son. Not because we're so great, not because we're so good, but because when we accepted Christ as our Savior, uh, we became in Him. In that moment. And all that Jesus Christ is, is applied to our account. We have a synonymous identity with the Son of God. That's a blessed thought. That tells me something. No matter how many times I mess up, it's not about whether I mess up. Because I'm in Him tonight. We've looked at all three of these statements thus far. In Him we have redemption. In Him we have an inheritance. In Him we have trusted. But tonight we're, we're told of the correlation between Him and the Holy Spirit and that in Him we are given the Holy Spirit. I want to speak just for a moment about the procuring of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Bible teaches that though the Spirit of God has always been part of the triune Godhead, that He has not always been uh, in this world in the same way that He is today? In fact, the Bible teaches, if you study in the Old Testament, that the Spirit of God at that time did not indwell men or women. The Spirit of God may be on someone. In fact, you can go kind of through it, and I've heard the preacher talk about it before. It kind of makes you chuckle. The Spirit of God in the Old Testament is on people and under people and in front of people and behind people and beside people. Uh, it's all around people, but never in people. Never in an indwelling fashion. Never in a perpetual fashion. This is something that is wholly exclusive to this new covenant, New Testament, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, how did it come about that the Spirit of God indwells us in this day that we live in? Turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 16. John, chapter number 16. We have a little bit of a hint concerning this. You can even leave your marker at John, chapter number 16, because it is a place where we're going to return uh, a little bit later. But John, chapter number 16... I want you to look with me what our Lord says in verse number 7. Christ speaking to His disciples. Now, this is just a short while before He's going to be taken in the garden and led away and be put on a mock trial, just hours before His crucifixion. And the Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, 
I will send him unto you. So John chapter 16 and verse number 7 teaches us that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a perpetual sense is directly tied to the death of our Lord and Savior. We understand that if our Lord had not died, the Spirit of God could not have dwelt in us perpetually the way that He does today. This was afforded by the death of Jesus Christ. Let us go a little farther and look in John chapter number 7. And I want you to notice a thought that's given to us in John chapter number 7. The Bible says in verse number 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now notice this parenthetical statement that John makes. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So we find out that the indwelling of the Spirit of God is not only tied to the death of our Lord and Savior, but of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. When He rose from the dead, He rose in a glorified body. The same body or similar to the the body in, in, in the likeness of the same body that you and I are going to be raised up in when the Bible says that this vile body shall be changed to be like unto His glorious body. We are going to have a glorified body, but our Lord rose from the dead in a glorified body. So it was not just the death, but it also had to, the resurrection had to take place as well. Now we're getting a little bit closer. Many of you remember the account that uh, is given in the Gospels when it speaks of Christ stopping by the tombstone and seeing, or by the tomb and seeing Mary. He makes a statement. He says, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And I want to read one more passage of Scripture before we continue in the preaching. And I want to say a few comments about the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter number 4. Now look at verse number 7. The Bible says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now notice this phrase. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now if I was to ask you point blankly as we read over that list of gifts, what kind of gifts are those that are spoken of there in verse number 11? Somebody tell me what kind of gifts those are. Spiritual gifts. They are gifts of the Spirit. If you read uh, in the Pauline epistles, you'll find, particularly in the epistle to Corinth, you'll find these uh, cataloged in a very specific way. Now, this is what I want you to grab this evening. Uh, The Spirit of God was purchased by the death of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He ascended on high and led captivity captive. Uh, now, you can believe what you want about this, amen, but, but I'm going to believe what I want about it too, and I believe this is scriptural. If you study in the Old Testament, the Bible teaches that uh, saints that had died in the Lord, uh, that when they died, they did not go to a heavenly abode. You say, I don't believe that, preacher. Read Luke chapter number 16. 
And you'll find that Old Testament saints dwelt in a place that we might call paradise or Abraham's bosom. And it was a place that was adjacent to hell. Now, the Bible teaches very clearly that hell is located in the heart of the earth. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I believe that because the Bible says hell from beneath hath enlarged herself. Uh, the lake of fire is an entirely different place, but hell is located, I believe, in the heart of the earth. And the Bible teaches that it's located in the heart of the earth. And the Bible teaches that Abraham's bosom, or paradise, was a place that was located adjacent to it, which is why Lazarus and the rich man could look across a great chasm and they could see each other. Now, I'm not going to give you a thousand theological reasons why that's so. I could if I needed to, because there are theological reasons. But suffice it to say that through the death of Jesus, Christ, these Old Testament saints were enabled then to dwell in the very presence of God. And so Jesus Christ, when He descended in the lower parts of the earth, He took a captive group of people and He led captivity captive and He ascended on high. And He took these Old Testament saints that heretofore after are pictured in heaven with the Lord. Read the book of Revelation. They're pictured in heaven with the Lord. And He took them from that location and took them to heaven. The Bible says that when he came from, or when he went to heaven, that he brought with him gifts, gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we find the clue given in our text in, uh, in Ephesians 1.14 when the Bible says that he is the earnest of our redemption. The purpose and work of the Holy Spirit in our heart and lives is to make us more Christ-like. It's a part of our salvation the Bible says, uh, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Part of our salvation is the indwelling of the Spirit of God and the effectual transforming power of the Spirit of God in our lives that was purchased by Jesus Christ upon Calvary. Whenever He descended to the lower parts of the earth and then ascended up into heavens, uh, if He had not been glorified and risen and gone to the heavens, He could have never obtained the perpetual indwelling of the Spirit of God for you and I. You say, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was carrying out the will and purpose of God on this earth, but not in the hearts of human beings. Because those human beings did not belong to God. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, you and I, we're children of the devil. But whenever we get born again, we do just that. The old man dies and we're born again into the family of God. And we are the purchased possession of Jesus Christ through the cross of Calvary. So after we have been purchased, the Spirit of God can indwell within you and within I. Jesus Christ procured this. He obtained this. He bought this. He paid for this. You say, preacher, what are you driving at? I'm saying we are in Him tonight, and that's why we're sealed. Because He has bought and paid for the Spirit of God. And He has given it to us. And He has put it in our life. We see the procur procuring of the Spirit of God. But I want you to notice with me, and look again in John chapter number 16. We have the power of the Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God doing in our hearts and lives? Now, there's much I won't have time to deal with tonight. I'm going to be honest. If I preached this message till there wasn't any preach left in it, we'd be here for two weeks. If we said all there is to say about the Spirit of God tonight, it would take us hours upon hours upon hours. But I want to give you just a few thoughts here in John chapter number 16. Look at the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse number 7. We'll read it again and continue on further. The Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, 
The Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And when He is come, when He is come, so this is something that is going to be taking place in the future, when the Spirit of God came to this earth. I mean, it's future tense from when our Lord was speaking of it here. He's not saying this uh, concerning the work of the Spirit of God in the past, but He's saying this concerning the work of the Spirit of God in the future uh, from when He's saying this. In other words, after He had died and was buried and rose from the dead, the work of the Spirit of God then. And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on Me, of righteousness because I go to My Father and ye see Me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. Can I say that one of the things that the Spirit of God does in our lives is it reveals not only to us Jesus Christ, but through us Jesus Christ to others. That's part of the office and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John made this statement, or Christ made this statement, and John recorded it down, that he would not speak of himself, the Spirit of God would not, but he would speak of the Lord, of Jesus Christ. He would uplift Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that through the tribulation period when the Bible talks about the rampant sin that will take place over the world, it's during the time when the influence of the Spirit of God through the church has been removed from society. When no longer the influence of believers is in this world, there is nothing to hold back the strongholds of sin and the work of Satan in this world. But sin simply runs rampant in this world. Why is that? Because part of the office of the Spirit of God is through the church to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's part of what the Spirit of God does. I want you to notice a second thing that's spoken of in our text here. Look what it says in verse number 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that are the Father, uh, that the Father are, let me read that again. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it Unto you. Let me say that another uh, office of the Spirit of God in our lives is that of revealing the truth of Jesus Christ to us through the Word of God. Do you realize that we have in front of us the written Word of God just as Jesus is the living Word of God? The Bible teaches that the two are synonymous in nature, meaning they will never disagree. There will never be a disharmony between the Son of God and the Scriptures of God. They're synonymous in nature. And when Christ walked this earth, He was expressing the truth of the mind of God to those that were around Him. And today, as we read the Word of God, we have the mind of Christ sitting before us. But how are we going to understand that mind? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are spiritually discerned. Now you say, well, that's my spiritual man, preacher. Yeah, that's your spiritual man. But who do you think it is that your spiritual man speaks to and learns these things of? He learns them of the Spirit 
of God. The Bible says we have no need that any man teach us. The self-saying unction, anointing that we have will teach us. The Spirit of God is the one that makes real to us the truths of the Word of God. I'll tell you right now, the best way you can understand the Bible. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I'm not opposed to theological books. i got more theological books than any man could read in a lifetime. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. And they're good and they're a help and there's nothing wrong with that. That's It's good to take that knowledge. Don't try to uh, plow the same furrow again. If a man's gone along and gathered the knowledge, and you can get in a few hours what it took him 50 years to study out and write, by all means do it. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to understand the Word of God, I mean really understand the Word of God, let me tell you the best way to do it. Every time you sit down and open that Bible, have a word of prayer. And ask the Spirit of God to make real and alive to you the truths of the Word of God. Because He's the one that teaches them to you. And, And listen, He's a heart teacher. He's not a head teacher. He might teach you head truths, but He teaches you head truths that apply to your heart. He can make them real. There's a lot of people who have a head knowledge of the Word of God. They have an academic knowledge of the Word of God, but they don't have an effectual effectual knowledge of the Word of God because they've learned it through their head, not through their heart. But the Spirit of God can take the Word of God, and He doesn't point out other people when He reads it. He points out you when He reads it. He makes it real in your heart. Only the Spirit of God can do that. A teacher might be able to show you truths, but the Spirit of God can show you yourself in the Word of God and show you where it applies to your life. That only comes from the Spirit of God. That's part of His office, part of His job. He's to guide you into all truth, to make you aware and to teach you these truths. Let me give you a third thing. He's the one that provides harmony amongst the brethren. Uh, You say, what does any of this have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, the Spirit of God is making known Jesus Christ in this world. He's making known the Word of God in our hearts, who is the the written Word, uh, synonymous in nature with the living Word. And you and I, we're part of the body of Christ, and He's providing the harmony within the body. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Romans, that the Spirit of God hath shed abroad in our hearts the love of God by the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something. The only way we can love one another, I mean really love one another, I'm not talking about just put up with one another, I'm talking love one another, is through the Spirit of God. That's the only way. You say, well, preacher, not me. I'm I'm so lovable. (laughs) Just like me, right? You ask the right person, you'll find out. Amen? No, the fact of the matter is, and I kind of like, I've I've said this, it's a worn out, Ralph, but I'm going to say it again because I like it. Uh, You know, the old songwriter wrote about it, and he said, you know, to dwell above with saints in in love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints, I know that's a different story. You know, sometimes it's hard to live with people. Sometimes it's hard to deal with people. I mean, your family, you got to deal with. You can't get away from them, amen. But your church family, you could walk away from them, really, at any moment. Now, you might bear the judgment of God in your life, but that's a decision you could make. How do we have unity and harmony? How do we love one another? It's only through the liberty and work of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you why a lot of churches, and listen, I'm not trying to be judgmental tonight, because I'd readily tell you, and I've said it a thousand times, we, we got an awful loving church here, but it's not due to me. It was like this when I got here. I've just tried to stay out of the way and not cause too many problems. Amen. So I'm, I'm not trying to attribute this to me tonight. But let me just be honest and say there's a lot of churches that have a lot of things right, but they've missed this thing of unity of the Holy Spirit. And you know why that is? Because they've quenched the Holy Spirit. They've quenched Him. So I don't believe in that. You're going to have to argue with Paul because he said, Quench not the Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
You can sin against the Holy Spirit. You can quench Him. You can grieve Him. You can disobey Him. You can cause Him to be stifled in the work that He wants to do. And why would we think, why would we think that we can ignore the Holy Ghost when He convicts us, but just love on Him when He comforts us? The fact is, until we allow for the liberty of the Spirit of God... And I'll tell you why a lot of churches don't like this kind of preaching. Uh, They don't like it because it's a control thing. Let me tell you something. Spiritual control is not being out of control. Spiritual control is not being out of control. It's being under the control of the Spirit of God. We don't have to fear the Holy Ghost tonight. Hey, if He's really in it, it's going to be right. It's going to be right. If He's in it, we're not going to have to worry about tongues. If he's in it, we won't have to worry about this holy laughter mess. We, we've had some carnal laughter around here sometimes, but we, we ain't never had none of that holy laughter around here. That's like him holy kisses they speak about. My old preacher used to say, I, I, I don't practice a holy kiss because it's hard to keep people uh, holy when you're doing it. Amen? <laughs> hard to keep a holy kiss holy anymore. No, I'm not talking about any of that mess. What I'm talking about is having unity in the Spirit of God and liberty for the Spirit of God to move and work. We don't have to be scared of that. That's his job. He shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. We love one another through the Holy Spirit. You won't love people very long until you, until you learn to die to self. You won't learn to love people very much until you learn to put yourself second and nail yourself to a cross. And that's done through the Spirit of God. You won't learn to love people until you learn to see them through the eyes of the Savior. You won't learn to love people until you come to the place that you prefer others above yourself. You won't learn to love people until you get to that place. And only the Spirit of God can do that. We could go on. We go on for hours about the, the comfort that the Spirit of God gives us, about the boldness that the Spirit of God gives us. But I, but I pick just a few things to express to you this notion that what the Spirit of God is doing, we have the Spirit of God in the person of Christ. It is His Spirit. And because we are in Him, the Spirit of God indwells within us. And what is he doing? He's carrying out the work of Christ in our hearts and lives and in the world that we live in today through the work of the local body of believers through the local church. That's how he's doing that. I want you to notice a final thing. We see the promise of this spirit. I I touched on this the other day. I may not dwell on it long, but then again, I may. I never know. Um, But the Bible says that he's the earnest of our redemption until he's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession the promise of the spirit of god we are sealed and i talked about what that word sealed means but i want to say a few things about it uh i you know when we have the idea of sealed we have the idea of contained contained we are contained in christ by the spirit of god you say preacher what do you mean by that i mean this we have god dwelling inside of us and containing in our lives the proof of God in our lives. I believe this. Now, you don't have to, but I do. I believe that if a person is truly born again, there will be evidence of God in his or her life. There's people get away from the Lord. I understand that. I understand we can go so far as to to forget that we've been washed from our old sins. I, I know that tonight. And I understand that. But I mean whether it is through chastisement or whether it is through spiritual fruit, one way or the other, there will be evidence that someone is a child of God in their life in some way, shape, fashion, or form. There will be. Why is that? Was not so in the Old Testament, you know. 
We don't see that in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament we see that. Why is that? Because we are sealed or contained by the Spirit of God. When we sin, we are aware of it because of the Spirit of God. When we disobey the Lord, we're aware of it because of the Spirit of God. And listen, don't teach your kids this mess about conscience. There's such thing as conscience, but if they're saved, it's the Spirit of God convicting them, not conscience. A man can, can convince his conscience of something. You can't convince the Spirit of God of something. He's the Spirit of truth. He'll always speak truth. And so we are sealed or contained. Uh, give you an example. The Bible says that His Spirit beareth witness with our spirit. Now, how does that happen? Uh, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly that's also true of the excitement and encouragement that we get through the Spirit of God. Uh, but it's also true of the conviction, the discouragement we feel when we live in sin. So, in other words, no matter how we may try, we can't get away from God if we've accepted Jesus Christ into our lives. He is inside us through the Spirit of God. A seal also has the idea of identity. You put your seal upon something. And it's a proof to the outside world that God lives within us. Uh, the Bible speaks in John chapter number 3. In fact, I'll read it to you. I don't want to misquote it. John chapter number 3. Christ is speaking to Nicodemus. This is probably the most misquoted verse of this entire chapter. Uh, but I believe it's an important verse. John chapter number 3. And I want you to listen to what the Lord says about the Spirit of God. The Bible says in verse number 8, uh, well, let's back up and read it, verse number 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, you can believe what you want about that. Some people believe the water denotes the Word of God. I believe we are born again of the Word of God. But I believe that it's speaking of a natural birth. I believe it's saying those that are born physically, but one birth is not enough. I see these bumper stickers some sometimes that say, born fine the first time. I think, oh my, what judgment they're going to face when they meet a, an almighty God and they find out that one birth isn't sufficient. It takes a new birth, a second birth. And so it says, born of uh, the Spirit, uh, of water and of the Spirit. Uh, listen to what it says in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now notice verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In other words, we do not see the wind by seeing the wind. We see the wind by seeing the effects. You've never seen the wind. None of us have. But we see the, the leaves flutter. We see the trees bend. We, we see the effects of it around us. In the very same way, you do not see the Spirit of God within a person. But by the way they live their lives, you can tell if they're born again by the Spirit of God. I think we, I think we minimize this thing of the Holy Ghost far too much in this day that we live in. And I think we minimize this business of being Spirit-filled of God far too... Oh, we, we say the language, but we don't define it anymore. We use the terminology spirit-filled, but we've watered it down till it means something powerless and meaningless. No, to be spirit-filled is to be so submitted to the Spirit of God and to the work of God that you've crucified the old man and in power and in majesty the Spirit of God lives through you and accomplishes the will and work of God in your life in such a way that others can even see it. They can see it. Not because they see the Spirit of God, but because they see the work of the Spirit of God in your life. We see the promise, the promise. 
Because we're sealed has the implication. You know, I like this. You know, when you seal something, the idea of containing it now, you seal. Some of you may may uh, may can or it ought to be called jarring. I said that the other day, but that still kind of that aggravates me a little, Ronnie, when people, that don't make no sense, canon. It ought to be jarring. You don't put it in cans, you put it in jars, so it ought to be jarring. So when people jar something, uh, the idea is that they're going to open it at a later date. In other words, there's a future day coming that that thing's going to be opened and going to realize the purpose for which it was put up. In other words, if you if you can some some green beans, whew, nothing wrong with that. And if you can some green beans, those green beans are not realizing fully their purpose yet. You didn't can them to sit in that can, you didn't, or jar them to sit in that jar, brother Larry. You didn't you didn't jar them to sit in that jar. I mean, some of you may you may jar something just sit it on the on the counter and look real country. But but I mean, God's folks they 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 jar that thing because they intend on opening it and using it later. It's not fulfilling its entire purpose as it sits in that jar. But it's a reminder that there's some better day coming. <laughs> Glory to God when you're going to open them green beans. You see, it's proof that there's coming another day, a greater day. We come back to 1 John chapter number 3 and this same thought. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We are now. And if I could just be a little country, I'd say, I'd say, Miss Jean, now we're the green beans. We're the green beans now. Now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. We're not sitting on that plate beside some mashed taters yet. <laughs> We're not, we not got that big old chunk of ham in there yet. It's not the full realization. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, that's the day when the jar is open. <laughs> oh, that's the day when the jar is open. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. That's the day of the redemption. Of the purchased possession. That's the day when he comes to get what he's bought and paid for. He's bought and paid for you and I. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Ye are bought with a price. He's paid for you. He's purchased you. But right now we do not dwell with him. Right now we're not all that we're going to be. Right now we're the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. Positionally in him we are all these things. But practically you and I are not. You remember we're talking about in him tonight. In him we are all these things. But right now, even though positionally we're in him, practically we're not with him yet. We're not with him yet. Positionally, we're already these things. God looks at us and He sees us in this way. But practically, we're not yet. The sorrow, the suffering, it's not done away with yet. The sin and the wickedness, it's not done away with yet. But there's coming a day when the jar will be opened. There's coming a day when we're going to be like Him. The day when that purchased possession, He comes for it. And He redeems it. That's that full redemption. It's already bought and paid for. We're already sealed we don't have to be resealed. The seal ain't been broken and it ain't going to be broken. We don't have to be bought again. We've already been bought. But the idea of redemption not only has the idea of payment, but of acquisition. He's paid the price, but He's not gathered us unto Himself yet, but He's coming to. There'll come a day when He will. 
And when He comes and gathers us unto Himself, we sang about this morning, Heaven's Jubilee, some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air coming after you and me. Joy is ours to share. What rejoicing that will be when the saints shall rise, headed for that Jubilee yonder in the sky. That's the redemption day. That's when He comes to redeem that, that purchased possession. We're sealed until the day of redemption. You say, why aren't we sealed after the day of redemption? We're laying out there real pretty on the plate during that time. We don't have to be sealed. We don't have to be sealed after that. You say, does he not indwell us then? Of course he indwells us then. But we don't have to be sealed then. Because sin is done away with. Unrighteousness in our lives is done away with at that time. We won't struggle with the flesh any longer. But until that day, we have the Holy Spirit of promise in our hearts, in our lives. Why? Well, because we're in Him. He died, buried, rose again, purchased, bought the Spirit of God, and gave to us as the seal and as the down payment and earnest of our redemption.